coming to you from the ugliest building in the Gulch, it's the Nashville Scenes Podcast. My name is Steve Cavendish. I'm the former scene editor. I am here with Amanda Haggard, staff writer, and Phil Williams of News Channel 5. Phil, thanks for coming in. Absolutely. Um, we're going to talk today about the last 34 days of news in Nashville. And really, we're only going to talk about one story, and we're going to talk about... Uh, the revelation of Megan Berry's affair with a member of her security detail and the subsequent news coverage, which came after that. Um, Phil, you've been one of the reporters that's been most all over the story uh, in Nashville. Um, when did you first hear about the affair? I, I got a tip about uh, actually five day, five or six days before her admission. Uh, and immediately submitted a, a number of public records requests uh, to the police department and to her office, uh, looking for overtime records, looking for travel records, looking for emails and uh, text messages uh, between the mayor and uh, her members of her, her security detail, especially Rob Forrest. So let's let's kind of set the the stage here. The mayor's news came out on Wednesday, January 31st. So that, that, that would have meant that you were tipped off about it over the weekend before. Uh, I think Thursday or Friday. Uh, and, and I submitted my public records requests uh, on Friday. And uh, the, way that, uh, the way that I have heard this described is that uh, it started making its way around in sort of Nashville circles uh, that Thursday, Friday, and over the weekend. Uh, but by Monday and Tuesday, there was a veritable feeding frenzy among most Nashville journalists. Is that fair to say? It's hard for me to know what other people were, were, were hearing. Um, certainly, uh, the early part of that week where the admission came, uh, I started hearing, okay, she knows what you're after, she is, has decided to come clean. And, uh, and, and that was the rumor mill that I started hearing, was that there had been a calculated decision that she was going to come clean at some point. Was so, the, go ahead. Sorry, I'm just wondering um, how you went about um, securing that, that initial interview. Um, I, I, number one, I, I sent uh, the, the public records requests, uh, and then I just communicated with her staff that um, I, I knew what was going on. They knew why I was asking. Uh, and I thought it would be important for her to, to sit down with us and just come clean and, and tell us what the story was. Were there like parameters with that interview? Did they say, you know, we don't want you asking this or talking about this or? None. The, the, the only uh, agreement that I made was that she would sit down with us on camera and she wanted to start out by making a statement. She wanted to kind of come clean w without me having to hit her with a bunch of questions, which was fine with me because I, I was there to hear what she had to say. And, and then, you know, she concluded that by saying, I'm here to answer whatever questions you have. So, so there was no agreement about I would, you know, ask this question or not ask another question. It was wide open when did you when did you first think that uh, would that there might have been kind of a, mis, a misappropriation of funds 
on that on the was it were you just taking a shot in the dark with those initial records requests or did was that part of the tip that you had it, it certainly was part of the tip that, that they had been traveling a lot together that he had been spending a lot of time with her here's the really interesting thing i didn't have any evidence of an affair i had a tip and I don't know that I ever would have had evidence of an affair. So if she had not come clean and admitted to it, I don't think we would be where we are today. You know, perhaps Interesting. You know, there might have been a divorce down the road when, when some of these allegations came out. But there was no smoking gun that I had. And, you know, I don't think there's a smoking gun, you know, today that that reporters had. If she had not come clean, uh, I, I, I just wonder where we might have been. Did you have to put a lot of pressure on for that initial interview, or do you feel like, I mean, it was so quick, it seems like it came a little bit more easily than, than yeah, maybe some others. Yeah, it, it certainly was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And and, and I think the kind of one of the backstories that I, I don't fully understand at this point is there, there was very much of a political calculation with her and her advisors. Uh, I, I know she was working with uh, people who specialize in crisis communications. Uh, and I, I can presume that they made a calculated decision that you don't want to be running from this. You, you do not want to deny something that may be proven later. So it's best to get out ahead of the story. The, and, and so the press conference that night uh, there was there, there was a very kind of apparent strategy to sort of run out the not run out the clock but but answer exhaust all available questions. I mean, she sat there and she sat there and took questions until there were no more questions. Right. Um, but, but but I would say that a lot of the journalists, including myself, were handicapped because the public records that I had requested I did not receive until probably a couple of hours before the, the interview with her. So I really had not had a chance to digest what was in those records. Uh, and certainly that was the same for you know, the other journalists who were involved in that news conference that evening. Uh, their strategy, I was initially told, was that she would sit down and do an interview with me. Uh, it would run that night on our newscast, and then she would hold uh, a press conference the next day. Uh, apparently, the intense media interest, the rumors, uh, just got so intense that they felt like they had to move up that schedule. When uh, she was very candid in, in that interview, um, were you surprised at her candor in it? You know, sitting there, uh, on one hand, I thought, you know, th there's a lot more candor here than, than I expected. And yet, th there was also a sense that she had done a lot of prep uh, to, to the point that, it, you know, occasionally it seemed stilted. It seemed practiced. Uh, and so sitting there, I couldn't decide whether this was uh, unusual candor or extreme calculation uh, because she clearly had, working, had been working with her crisis communications team. Uh, and... She, and what she said, said to me in an interview 
at one or two o'clock in the afternoon uh, was very similar to what she said at seven o'clock that night in, in the news conference. So clearly she had practiced what she wanted to say. The, the, you get the interview at two o'clock and then you're rushing to be on the air at five o'clock with it. Uh, how quick a turnaround was that? Uh, the, the, that was a, a very quick turnaround. Um, I, I had, and, and I want to back up and want correct one thing. Uh, I had received some of the overtime records from the police department uh, a day or two ahead of the interview. So I at least had that much information to go on. I had already started preparing, okay, here's how I can summarize the overtime spending. So I already had a, sort of a skeleton uh, of a story that we, we would be ready to go on the air with. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, we, we started facing competition, you know, our competition, maybe even the scene, as I recall, started reporting that there were rumors. And, uh, so I think the, I think the scene broke that the, that Forrest had retired, that he had let, that, that he had left the department. And then after that came, came up, somebody had a rumor story. And then after that, by that time, you were on air with the interview. Right. And, and, and we had agreed with the mayor's office that uh, the, and one other condition was that we would hold our story until 5 p.m. Uh, the, the, uh, the reason for the request was that she wanted to be able to call some of the people in her inner circle and let them know that this was coming. Um, and I think we ended up pushing that story out through our website five or ten minutes before five, just because there was so much media speculation out there by, by that point. Uh, yeah, I think I think at, at five till, everybody had their stories up. The Tennessean had, had pushed theirs because I think they had a five o'clock embargo as well. And everybody just said, ah, oh, to hell with it. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was one thing uh, that doesn't surprise me, but I did not know at the time. I did not know that they were essentially going to give the Tennessean the same documents that we had requested uh, and uh, do an interview with the Tennessean as well. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, whether you knew that was coming or not. I, I, I did yeah. not, but it, it doesn't surprise me. That's sort of uh, the standard playbook uh, in this town, especially for Democratic politicians, uh, is to go ahead and get some version of the story to, to the newspaper. And, and try to get the spin out that way. The there was a drumbeat of stories here over the next week as everybody started analyzing the overtime records. How did you pursue the story from from the day from from after the interview? Well, we started going through the, through the overtime records, through the travel records. Uh, the, there were. Uh, other releases of information. I remember there was a Friday afternoon news dump uh, about four o'clock, as I recall, where uh, they, and I think it may have been earlier, maybe two, uh, where they released a bunch of documents and, um, and, and again, trying to get on the air very quickly that night. You know, the thing that jumped out at me was that there were travel authorizations that showed that Chief Anderson, Police Chief Steve Anderson, had approved Rob Forrest travel. And, uh, and I knew the chief had told me that he had never approved it. Uh, and so that's when I called the police department to, to say, okay, who's telling the truth here? 
And then that's when they produced a, a memo from the head of Metro IT saying that there had been this glitch where the, the mayor's chief of staff was approving the travel, but it registered as being an approval from the police chief. Uh, so that, that, that was you know, one of the examples of the continuing nature of our coverage. And that's because Forrest was, was a member of the police department, but he was out of sort of any line of command. Correct. At the time. And so all of all of those expenses were being approved by the mayor's office, correct? Correct. And, and one, one of the things we would find out like a week or two after that story is that, you know, the police chief had talked about practices and and, and policies and, and, and talked to them as if that, that was some nebulous concept of whatever was in his mind. And at some point I asked for written policies. And there, there actually is a dignitary protection policy that says that the Metro Police Department will provide protection for the mayor on official government outings and trips. Official government outings and trips. Uh, and then said that all travel must be approved by the captain over the Specialized Investigations Division uh, and the Chief of Police. So, I mean, in hindsight, that, that's probably a policy I should have asked for early on. Uh, but you know that we were just you know trying to keep up with this story and, and figure out what we didn't know. So when this sort of second round of like alleged allegations started coming out, or the rumors around maybe a second set um, of an affair, um, we got the letter from Jerry Martin. I think it was a day after. Um, which radio station was it that that put that out there? Uh. I think it was 99.7, but, but, I, but I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, what was your thinking when that, that letter came through from the lawyer, and how much did uh, you pursue that even after that? Well, that, that, that was an interesting situation because I, my standard is never to investigate the personal lives of public officials. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, if, if I had been told that the mayor was having an affair with the gardener, you know, I, I would not have spent any time on that whatsoever right. because there, there are just too many rumors about who is sleeping with whom that, that, you know, I just don't have the time nor the inclination to go after that kind of story. Um, we started hearing the same rumors that everyone else in town was hearing. Um, I, as I understand it, some of my competition was calling um, some of the alleged uh, individuals involved in the affair or affairs uh, you know, perhaps calling their homes. I just never pursued that. And because I, I, based on what I knew about the relationship with Rob Forrest, uh, I, I questioned how she would have had time for other affairs <laughs> uh, and, um, and, and really wasn't convinced of, of the public policy and the taxpayer interest. Sure. I mean, the overtime is, is the main issue. With right. The, with right. anyhow. Yeah. Um, you broke on, uh, so two weeks ago, there were a series of stories. Um, on, on Thursday, there was an affidavit that was released Correct. Um, by, the, by a district attorney, Glenn Funk's office, um, relating, to the, relating to the TBI investigation. And that's when there first surfaced the, the question of whether or not that there were, there were photos on Forrest's phone of the mayor. 
and then the next day you had a you had a story about uh, the mayor going to the cemetery, I believe the city cemetery, uh, in the mornings. How it, it was actually the same day. It was the same day. How did uh, how did that story kind of kind of come forward? Was that is that a tip? Is that a hunch is that how did how did this story kind of bubble up? Because that's the story to me that that everybody was talking about. Quite a hunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have those kind of instincts. Uh, but uh, here's the strange thing about that: I was doing uh, one of our call-in shows on News Channel Five Plus, uh, and someone called in and said that they were spending a lot of time in the mornings at the city cemetery. And uh, the, the host of the show, Nick Barris, said, well, why don't we get her, her phone number and, and let you call her back? And at, at that point, I was just hearing so many crazy rumors that I someone wrote down the phone number for me, and then I lost it. <laughs> and um, so a few days later, I was like, where, where is that number? I, and, and I couldn't find it. We, we tried going back into our phone system to try to figure out if we could find the number she was calling from. And so finally, I just went over to the city cemetery and started knocking on doors, uh, asking people if they had seen the, the white uh, SUV, uh, asking if they might have security video, and actually found one company that had a, a number of cameras trained on the front of the city cemetery. And, um, and they allowed us to sit there in their office for two or three days and go through footage. Uh, and, and we found a number of occasions where the uh, SUV was going in and out of the cemetery. I don't remember the number from the story. How many instances did you find? I, I think we had, um, I'm trying to remember, <coughs> maybe six, six or eight instances. Uh, a lot of them were Monday mornings after weekends or after long weekends. Uh, and um, and again, that that was another situation of we had a white SUV exact, exactly like the mayor's uh, bodyguard used. We couldn't see in the car, uh, and so then we called the, the, the mayor's office and said, "We've got this footage. We've been told it's the mayor. It looks like the mayor's car." And then again, they came forward and said, "Well, yeah, she spends a lot of." Uh, time there because she finds it to be a great place to reflect. How did you narrow down the time period that you were going to look at that security footage? I mean, it seems like a really long period of time to, to have to sort of survey. And well, well, the advantage we had was we had, you know, early on had requested her calendar. So we were able to eliminate the days when she uh, had uh, out-of-town appointments, for example. Uh, and then we started looking at, okay, what time is she due at the office? Her first you know, appointment is either 8 or 9 uh, a.m. most days. And so we started just narrowing down because um, th th there was one person who said, yeah, I think I've seen an SUV over there about 7, 7.15. Um, and so we just started looking between 7 and 8. Uh, and uh, so... It was just sort of kind of comparing her calendar and kind of guessing what days she might have been there. So that initial sort of data dump that they sent out on that, I think that Friday afternoon, exactly, was proved to be pretty helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're a local kid. 
went to MTSU. Did you grow up here in town, or did you grow up? I, I grew up in uh, Murray County in Columbia, moved to uh, Nashville when I was a junior in high school. Uh, where'd you graduate high school? McGavick. Uh, and then uh, went to MTSU, graduated, and then pretty quickly got a job at Tennessean. Uh, I, I first uh, started at Florida today uh, in, in uh, Cocoa Beach, later Melbourne, Florida. Uh, and then came back to the the, the the prototype paper exactly the prototype paper for what uh, Gannett eventually rolled out as USA Today, and then uh, so from eighty six to ninety two you were at the Tennessean, Correct. which means you were at the Tennessean during the original Bill Boner scandal. Absolutely, yeah. There there were lots of uh, reminders of that scandal in the last five or six weeks. Um, people people have drawn a lot of parallels between these two. Is that fair, not fair? Is, are these the same things? Are they not the same thing? Well, uh, most people remember that Bill Boner had an affair with uh, a nightclub sing- singer, Tracy Pill. Uh, what a lot of people forget is that he had an affair with the head of his security detail. Uh, and, wow. uh, and, and so that they were seen around town quite a bit together. And so th- th- there's a pretty strong parallel there. Obviously, the times are different, uh, but you know, Bill Boner ha- had a relationship with with his bodyguard as well. Um, did you did you cover much? I mean, you would have been a very junior reporter then. Did you cover much of that for the Tennessean? No, uh, I, I was uh, in my first year was uh, uh, a police uh, beat reporter, and then very quickly got onto. Uh, a long-term investigation of the charity bingo industry in oh, right. and was on that for three years, uh, as I recall, and then, so so I, I was busy with other things at the time. Back when newspapers could devote three years to a story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you went to WKRN in 1992. Correct. Um, why go to television? Uh, because the uh, I had been wearing out... Uh, Channel 2, uh, as a reporter for the Tennessean, they had att- uh, attempted to do an investigation of state lawmakers on a political junket and, you know, suggesting that they spent very little time uh, in conferences and spent most of their time playing and having fun. The problem was they did not devote the resources uh, to, uh, to, to, do, to do the investigation right uh, and there were a lot of flaws in their investigation, and and I was covering the legislature at the time, and and so I did a number of stories and columns pointing out the flaws in this um, much talked about investigation, uh, and and the news director Bill Lord uh, actually went on talk radio and accused me of being a lapdog of the legislature, <laughs> and, and and then I responded with a column that said you know essentially. Uh, if, if my commitment to journal, journalistic ethics and integrity makes me a lapdog, then so be it. And, and then Bill called me up and said, okay, smart aleck, uh, if you think you can do it uh, better, why don't you come work for me? Uh, and so that, that was how my, uh, my turn to broadcast occurred. And then you moved from uh, Channel 2 in 1998 to Channel 5. Correct. Um, why did you decide to go over to Channel 5? Uh, because I was just not able to do the kind of uh, in-depth uh, investigative reporting that I wanted to do. Uh, but when I was at Channel 2, we had a consultant come in one day and tell me that he had this wonderful investigative idea. And it, and, and it was really a title more than anything. 
and he suggested the investigative concept be high heel hell about how bad high heels were for women's backs. <laughs> and that's when I decided, okay, maybe it's time for me to move on. Um, and, um, and, and I, because Channel 2 had gone through a, a number of different news directors um, and the number of people left as a result of that turmoil, I actually had negotiated an out in my contract that allowed me to work off air uh, elsewhere. And so when I sort of reached an impasse with the, the new management of Channel 2, I had an out. And, um, and Channel 5 reached out to me, and, and we, we, we negotiated a, a deal that took effect at the day after my contract with Channel 2 ended. Wow. Um, coming back around here to the Barry story. So Mayor Barry resigns. Uh, Mayor Barry resigns this week. Uh, were you in? Were you in the courtroom for the for the plea? No, I was not. Um, one of the things I found interesting, and, and this is this is the difference between a plea versus an indictment uh, and a, and a response to those charges is it's a lot squishier exactly what uh, what has been agreed to. That essentially the district attorney uh, gives a set of facts. The the defendants uh, agree to those set of facts, and then uh, the judge the judge gives a sentencing, and it closes off the investigation. Um, were you surprised that Were you surprised that it played out this way? Uh, frankly, I, I was a bit stunned because uh, there had been all sorts of rumors that there might be a deal for her to resign in exchange for there being no criminal charges. Uh, and I had heard that that deal was imminent, and suddenly that deal had been you know, yanked off the table, uh, and, and and that would not have been unprecedented in this town. I mean, we we uncovered John Ariola pocketing one hundred and twenty thousand dollars in cash for weddings that he was performing on taxpayer time, uh, and um, and DA Tory Johnson at the time agreed to a deal where he would resign in exchange for there not being prosecution. So if that had happened in this case, that certainly would not have been unprecedented. And, 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 and I think there was also another factor that really surprised me because right after this scandal broke, police chief uh, Steve Anderson sat down and said, I did not approve this overtime. I did not approve this travel, but I would have because he felt that she needed security, that security was warranted. And, and so in, in, in my mind and in the minds of some of the attorneys I was talking to, that was almost a get-out-of-jail-free card because he had said, this is money that I would have approved. This was not a waste of taxpayer money. And, and so I think, you know, based on what I know, we don't know what the TBI might have had, but... You know, that, that would have been a plausible defense to offer if there had been an indictment. I think it's, uh, I think it's fair to say that any time that there's a plea agreement, you are pleading to a, the, the, the smallest possible version, or usually the smallest possible version of a case. So, for instance, if the, if the district attorney had gone in and gone after indictments, there would have probably been she, she and... Sergeant Forrest probably would have been indicted for much more than just what they pled to there. 
that's usually and then and then the negotiation at that point go starts from a different place. But, but you think about how quickly this went down. I mean, this was not many days after that search warrant affidavit was filed. So my question is, was the TBI finished with this investigation? Had a formal report been presented to, to the DA? Uh, and and if, if that had not occurred, did the DA have a full picture of what the case would be? Uh, and that, that's something I don't know. The in, ten, in Tennessee, TBI files are closed from public view. Correct. Um, good thing or bad thing? Uh, I, I think that's a bad thing uh, because there have been a number of politicians who have been uh, investigated, often cleared, and we don't know whether you know they're cleared because there was no case or or were they cleared because somebody knew somebody. The argument about TBI files being kept out of public view is that it lets them it lets them do more sensitive investigations than they would have than, than, because oftentimes the TBI is called into in these in these big political sort of situations uh, um, like for instance the Jock Clemens case where there's a there's a there's allegations of police impropriety uh, many of the many of the scandals at the state legislature um, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I think that these things should be open, but the is this is this a good reason for is this a good reason for citizens to go back to the state legislature and say we really we should be able to look at these sort of investigative files for accountability's sake? Absolutely, because you know, let, let's think about this. So let, let's imagine this had played out differently. Let's imagine that the DA uh, had said, I, "I've got." A report from the TBI. I have decided it merits no uh, further action on my part. Uh, case closed. How do we know that's the case? How do we know it wasn't just a political favor? Uh, and, and especially when the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation is dealing with the very essence of our government, the very essence of democracy, to say we're going to investigate this corruption, but if we decide not to proceed with the case, we're not going to let you know why. I, I think that's bad for democracy. Uh, where would you rank this story in terms of Nashville news here over the last 20 years? How big of a story is it? Oh, gosh. Um, it, I, I'm, I'm not very good at ranking because <laughs> uh, but my, my brain is... Uh, I, I just kind of flush things uh, after I, I, I deal with them. Uh, it, it certainly is one of the bigger ones, um, you know, because the historic nature of it, the first female mayor uh, ending in such a tragic way. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I've been very you know, upfront about this during our live coverage. You know, Megan Berry is someone I liked on a personal level. Uh, after our first interview, uh, she we, the cameras were turned off and she reached out and gave me a hug. Uh, later that night, uh, she uh, sent me a text thanking me for being fair with her, uh, you know, even as I was asking the questions that needed to be asked. Um, 
you know, I, I know what it's like to, to go through the kind of tragedy that she's been through, to, to lose a family member to addiction. So I have not lost the sense of humanity uh, as I view her. Uh, and so, you know, did she mess up? Absolutely. Uh, is it a tragedy on a personal human level? No doubt about it. Are you ready for another mayoral election? <laughs> I actually have a backlog of really big stories that, that have been sitting on my desk that I'm anxious to move on to. Um, this is this is maybe an impolitic question, but I'll go ahead and ask it anyway. Um, this happened during sweeps month. How much of a gift is that to local news? You know, uh, I, I, I can't really call it a gift because that there are people who felt strongly that this was not a story. There were people who thought we were picking on her, that we were treating her in a uh, way that, that men would not have been treated. Uh, and so it, it's one of those stories, you, you can't say, well, it's a ratings bonanza because there were strong feelings on both sides. Uh, it was an important story from a journalistic perspective but, you know, from a ratings, I, I really can't say. Phil, thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Thanks. Absolutely.